0: Bugs Bunny to kick off our show today. Uh, welcome back to Real Voices Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm here with the star of our show, Sal Marinello. This is the hot corner with Coach Sal. Uh, the Sal, very unique show compared to, you know, as, as it pertains to the rest of our network, baseball heavy. Sal hits it from a very different angle, and I know our audience gets pumped up about it. Um, before I say hello back to Sal and get going with this, just want to thank our 16,100 plus subscribers as of today. Continue to download, listen, like, subscribe. We've got to battle the analytics of podcasting just like we do with baseball, so make sure you rate and review. That's how we get credit for the show, and it it boosts our our numbers. It allows us to provide great content each week uh, with all of our shows, much like we do here with The Hot Corner. Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher, that's our streaming devices of choice. If you have another one, let us know. We'll subscribe to that as well. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter is a way you can engage us. I answer one question live on Facebook every day. Haven't gotten the one out there yet today. We had two shows today recording. Jim Cott was previous to this show, and now we have Sal here. So I think I have an idea based on the questions that I'm going to answer, but this show will help me decide. 72 countries now we are in, grassroots all the way to Major League Baseball front offices. We've got the ear of all the people out there that matter, and all we're trying to do is build a better baseball IQ here. And, uh, Sal, your show certainly does that every week. So, Sal, welcome back to your show, the star of the show. Thanks,
1: Dave. I'm glad to be here. I hope we do help people. That's the whole goal of this. That's why we kind of touch outside the normal boundaries of topics. I think you, it's very hard to separate the, a sport you know, in the context
0: of the different training modalities you can use. Yeah. No, I think your show does a very good job of kind of tying them all together. And I think they all kind of mesh well with it. Uh, I, I know we ended last show talking about a, a topic and you would ask me the question, but I think we're going to kick off with this today. Uh, there's training methods out there where there's either an emphasis on rate of force or is it amount of weight? Is that what we're comparing?
1: Well, we're comparing the rate of force production, so how fast you can produce force, to the flat-out force you produce. So in sports, in athletics, it's much more important to be able to quickly produce force and control it than it is to just produce force for the sake of it because that force production doesn't take into account the element of time or speed that is the key to all sports, whether it's a time and distance sport like track and field or it's a baseball, how fast you get out of the box, how fast you can create the force that you need to swing the bat, to throw the ball, to change directions, to plant to get into the hole, to pick up a ground ball. And all of that is how fast you produce force. Now, everybody has to have a baseline of the ability to produce a certain amount of force. But in my opinion and in the scheme of things, that is a relatively low baseline that can be accomplished without needing to handle Weights that we are seeing many athletes, especially baseball players, handle. It's overkill, and it's certainly diminishing returns. And it certainly holds true with certain exercises that I've singled out in both private conversations with you guys and on the show. Deadlift, squat, and certainly leg leg press, any machine-based movement where you're loading up and working as hard as you can, in quotes, and slowly moving that weight—that is the worst thing
0: any athlete can do. And I've been—I watched you had a nice—you uh, had a nice video on the other day, and it was of a—I think it was a snatch, a clean and snatch. Am I saying that yeah. right? A snatch, snatch. snatch. Yeah. Talk to, I know it's we're audio only, but would that be an example of one of your rate of force?
1: Absolutely. And even when you look at. The difference. I'll just step back. You look at the difference between the Olympic lifts and the power lifts. The Olympic lifts are the snatch, the clean and clean and jerk, all of those exercises. And that I'm that's my hand clapping. That when you see it happen, it happens in a blink of an eye. It's almost amazing to see someone be able to move 400 pounds in a blink of an eye. That when you watch it in slow motion, it is amazing to see what they're doing and how the body responds and what all is going on in that quick move versus a power lifter, which is a bench press, a deadlift, and a squat, which frequently is is a grind. So the snatch that I use, Dave, is a split snatch because what I'm trying to do is obviously get it's called triple extension. So think about what your leg does when you jump, say, to do a layup. The leg that's on the ground that you use is your takeoff leg is extending at your hip, knee, and ankle, so that leg becomes straight. What I do that with my split is, again, you have to extend to jump, and then you're moving your leg in one rep. Um, Your right leg is going forward. You land, you recover, you set up, and your left leg moves forward because when I get to my higher level, higher skill variations we are going quickly from one side to the other which is what we do when we run and jump
0: and move in three dimensions like all athletes do and so the the snatch that can be used for any sport you didn't indicate what athlete was in there you were and actually you did it yourself too right uh, which i was impressed with it can be done for any sport
1: yes it's it is ideal it is the har- it is the hardest to teach Some people, it's the hardest to grasp. I have found, though, the better the athlete, the better they do at it. And that goes to another point I like to make, that when people justify using XYZ as a benchmark for gauging an athlete's success, and you pick someone who is a physical specimen, my argument goes back to Well, you could devise almost any kind of physical test and your natural your natural athlete gifted athlete is always going to be better than your lesser athlete. So the that's that's kind of how I look at this and the snatch does all the things I'm looking to do it. Even even done in the Olympic manner, which I'm not trying to do, it is still a rate of force production exercise. So it's making you move a massive weight in a blink of an eye, which is layman's term, but that's that is awesome. However, we're not trying to make our athletes weightlifters, so we can derive benefits from our field sport athletes, from our track and field athletes that come from that movement without needing to devote the time and effort it takes to get to that level where you're talking about massive amounts of weight. And you can also do these lifts with dumbbells, which adds to the level of complexity and coordination, which I'm always trying to increase, especially with my younger athletes, because the younger an athlete faces complex coordination tasks, the higher their skill acquisition will be. So if you take these young, Boys and girls, and challenge their coordination in any manner, they're going to ultimately have a higher level of skill acquisition than those kids that are not
0: challenged in their coordination. And, and we always preach multi sport athletes because you, you learn different movements. Uh, it helps you with whatever sport you're better at and things like going out and playing. A lift like this, as you said, it's not singular to one sport, it trains. It trains, I guess, in that type of modality that I'm talking about where if you're a multi-sport athlete, the hardest thing is to train specific for your sport. Is this an exercise? And what are some others that are kind of universal to the athletes you're trying to develop?
1: Well, I I think I've mentioned this, but I'm never trying to replicate – not never. I shouldn't say never. Rarely am I replicating or is the purpose of what I do in the – let's say in the gym, in the weight room – I am rarely trying to replicate a move or a pattern that an athlete is going to perform on the field. I will put up some videos this weekend that get close to this. I am doing things. I am developing qualities and attributes that allow the athlete to be a better sprinter, which is going to make them more agile, which is going to make them in lacrosse a better dodger or a better defender. In baseball, it will make you a better base runner. It'll make you better in the field. Your feet will be better. In basketball, it will make you more explosive. And again, your feet will be better. In football, as a receiver or as a running back, you are going to be more efficient coming in and out of cuts, and you're going to be able to do those things better and at faster speed. So what my goal is is to take the elements the general elements that we discussed that an athlete needs to be able to do or needs to have to move better, and that's what I'm doing in the gym. It's nerve we've talked about it. I'm training the nervous system.
0: I, I like that point. You always you make that, and I'm glad you, you do every time because I think that's lost out there on the training methods we see. I call it YouTube training now with people. So I'm glad you remind us each time because every time you say it on a show, if you look at back on all my show notes. I have Train Your Nervous System blocked in every single show that you have. So uh, I hope our audience is getting that, that that's what we're trying to get done. Are there athletes out there that you look at? Obviously, our athletes are bigger, stronger, faster today um, than ever before. Um, you know, and we just got done with Jim Cott. We talked about pitchers are just freakish athletes nowadays. Are, why do – I mean, we, we kind of – I guess we belabored this a little bit, but why are they getting hurt so much? We just saw a mad bomb get designated for assignment. He had a great four year run and he's probably never going to pitch again.
1: Well, it goes to the things we've spoken about that training in the manner that has become common for let's stick with baseball because it's the great, the best example is not in con uh, not in keeping with what these athletes need to work on. I, <clears throat> I equated to the, discussion we had about these mismatched diseases where we have type two diabetes and because of the types of food that are available and in the amounts that it's available and then unfortunately in the amounts that people consume them it's the same with training we have this vast array of methods of training if you want to be a bodybuilder go i loved bodybuilding dave one of my heroes was Arnold Schwarzenegger and that era of pumping iron. That was my first end of, um, exposure to, to training. So, you know, bodybuilding to me has always been great, but that's not how you train for sport. And unfortunately, someplace along the line, probably not too long after Arnold Schwarzenegger came on the scene, uh, that's become the method for training. So we have this wide way of training, this wide spectrum, vast spectrum of training, and we're taking pieces of it and we're taking the wrong pieces of it and
0: letting athletes do that to train for their sport. No, that's a great answer. And to, to get, I don't want to go take you down a rabbit hole, but I think you'll shed some light onto this maybe better than anybody. There's this, trend of training with heavy balls for pitchers right now and whether it's being instructed properly or being abused we both believe in, in a little bit of the overload underload i used it as a hitter i don't know if it scientifically worked for me but i felt better i felt faster uh share a little bit of your thoughts i know you have a, a, a russian influence uh Bondurchuk, if, if i remember right right um, but right now, as we had, it was a Jim colonel we had on the other day, great baseball researcher for pitchers. I recommend them to anybody, but he posed a question to me and I did not have an answer to it. And I said it on that show, I'm going to pose it to you because you'll have a better one. He questioned, why do pitchers use these heavy balls, but in no other sport like basketball for shooters or quarterbacks throwing, would we ever consider using a heavier ball to develop speed, strength, whatever they're doing. Why is it only for pitchers? So I'll kind of, kind of throw that at you and let you take it where you want to take it.
1: I think there's um there's a bunch of different, not a bunch, there's a few different ways we could discuss this. So the first I'll do is give a little background. Bondarchuk was a Russian scientist and track throwing coach back in the days when the Russians obviously dominated. And we all know that drugs were responsible for those records. Uh, we're not getting away from that. That being said, this guy was meticulous in, in his methods and he recorded everything. And he discovered that the only correlation between training and success in competition was between the person who could throw and implement, let's say a shot put, could throw the shot put that was just slightly heavier or just slightly lighter than the competition implement. So the guy or woman who threw that slightly heavier or slightly lighter implement the furthest was gonna throw was going to throw the regular implement the furthest. That holds true with and I believe in the ball baseball or if you wanted to use it for a basketball or if you wanted to use it for a football. I think though It's not this, hey, here's a heavy baseball, here's a heavier ball, let's go out and throw like you would throw a normal ball. I think the throwing mechanism, the throwing motion is way more specific, way more delicate, better word. The throwing motion of a baseball is way more delicate than a shot putter. So you have to be much more careful. You, you, you would need to do a lot of research, in my opinion, to, to justify the baseball being lighter or heavier. I, I, I don't know if it's worth it, but that should be the thought behind it. Just like anything, Dave, too much of a good thing is bad. That's like an old cliche, but we know it's true. So that's my fear. You've got this concept that maybe a heavier ball might help, but is it going to help that 14-year-old? Is it going to help that 12-year-old or is that a training method that's used for someone who is an advanced uh, professional or an advanced to a point where they have good mechanics, they already are doing things properly? Those are the questions that need to be answered by people smarter than myself, but I would say I don't think the heavier implement is a good idea for a younger athlete, younger baseball player.
0: I yeah, I think that's a great point to make. I mean great education on on the process of it. But I think that's what we see out there a lot. We see these very advanced athletes at the major league level, the NFL, the NBA, doing things a certain way, and these YouTube, you know, swing coaches, skills coaches, dribbling coaches, whatever sport it is, they make a mint off of duplicating that and convincing these parents that in order to become Mike Trout or Steph Curry you know, or Justin Verlander, you've got to do things a certain way. Um, there are guys out there that do it really well. Like are we, have, you know, Justin Duff on our show, that's tremendous uh, with his pitching. I recommend him highly, but um, you know, I, that's a great breakdown for it. These parents have to be smart. They can't throw their 12 year old kid into a mature physical movement thinking that he's going to skip the thousand steps that you know, the pro did. So great points out. That's good. Well, you, yeah, you I, mean, mentioned
1: I, I see it. I see it all the time. It's ludicrous. I've, I've had athletes and the parent will come to me and say, Hey, you know, I have the program that Notre Dame is using for their football team. Why don't we, you know, I want my son to do that. And it's, it's absolutely ludicrous. It would be like telling me you're going to give me the calc two syllabus for Notre Dame. And you're going to use that for your, 14 year old kid who hasn't even mastered the basics of mathematics that that's the exact same thing you're not going to take an advanced college level course and apply it to a 12 or 13 or 14 or even a 15 year old why would you take the workout that that athlete is doing at that same level of their maturation and of their life and apply it to a 13 or 14 year old
0: no that's a great point it's uh People want the magic wand, the quick fix, and it's just not that easy. It just isn't the that dirty easy. Little
1: secret, uh, the dirty little secret is the guys and women at that level know no more than the typical coach because all those programs look the same. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's the biggest university or a D3 underfunded athletic program or your pro teams those workouts all look exactly the same. Go on YouTube, go on Instagram. It doesn't matter if it's a university coach or if it's a club coach or a private coach, all the workouts are the same. And most of them are done incorrectly. So that's what you're getting.
0: And that's 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 the cookie cutter you're saying they're doing that in regards to strength. They're doing and the cookie well.
1: cutter. The young guy is doing what he was taught by the older guy who hasn't changed in 25 years but is that a program that's successful that gets the best athletes so they're going to have a better outcome that and that that that's how we have this mediocrity perpetuate in our training for sport we justify it by the well first of all it's a complex a little bit of a complex thing we oversell people that do what i do oversell what they do i look at my job as being a compliment to an athlete's natural uh, maturation and progression through their sport and through life, and the training is a is a supplement. I'm not training or changing my athlete from a good Division One football player to a top draft pick and an NFL All Pro, and no one else is. Th- those people. What what my goal is to is to make them resilient. And robust so that in the face of the rigors of their endeavor, whether it's football, lacrosse, basketball, baseball, they withstand it, they don't get hurt, and they're able to continue and do what their coaches need them to do. That's where my job begins and ends. Too many people that do what I do want you to think that they're gonna turn Johnny JV into John Morant or take, you know, the the your little league pitcher and make him You know, the Cy Young winner, or Justin Verlander, or or Matt Scherzer, or, or pick your pitcher. None of that's happening. That is whatever you believe, whether you believe it's genetics, or it's God, the hand of God, that is setting the course. Coaches like me can help guide people along the right, wrong, better, worse path. They're not creating these athletes.
0: That's a that's a great statement on ego right there. I think that's the theme of what we see out there.
1: Well, the, uh, one more thing I want to say on that, Dave. There's the article that David Epstein wrote. David Epstein is a journalist, sports scientist kind of guy. He and it's available. You could search search David Epstein, Jesse Owens, Usain Bolt, and he goes into the detail. I think we've talked about this. The detail of the difference between what Usain Bolt did and what Jesse Owens did. Almost a hundred years apart, probably not what eighty-five years apart, and the biggest differences were the track surface, the shoe, and the other equipment, being the starting block. Basically, when they were able to digitally analyze their running form and kind of compare them, Jesse Owens is right there with Usain Bolt.
0: Yeah, that's uh, I I I believe that wholeheartedly. Without a you know, doubt.
1: Ted Owens dug the starting blocks, uh, dug holes in the track, in the cinder track, for his starting block versus these heavy-duty anchored blocks they use to push off of. Yeah. You know, they were running on cinders. These guys are and girls are running on, men and women are running on high-speed, high, high speed, you know, track that have rebound properties in it.
0: No, I those are fair points. I, I agree totally. right well – we didn't talk about this before the show. I, I wanted to kind of move it into uh, nutrition a little bit, if you don't mind. I saw something you posted. This was, I think it may have been yesterday, about fasting. Um right. would, would, you, would you be okay going into that a little bit right here? And I think that'll lead us into the other two.
1: Yeah. Terms. Yeah. So so intermittent fasting, and I think, again, we've talked about this a little bit. Intermittent fasting has been one of these new gimm- gimmicks, fads that have come on the scene. and. There's also the fasting, real fasters out there and under eaters who have claimed that eating less and all that is a way to live longer. And that's, that's pure nonsense. And it's gaslighting, just like most things we find out about nutrition, but the intermittent fasting, what the concept is, is you don't eat for, you know, you start, I believe it's 10 hours and then you can extend it. And conceptually you burn more fat and gain more muscle. And what people have shown, obviously, is that you could lose you could lose weight on it because, in general, I found in my personal experience, people are eating just eating less. So not eating during those hours is a way to just cut food out of your day, and that's not healthy. So if you're supposed to eat 2,000 calories in your day, and because of your fasting and then you don't start eating food until afternoon – and then you're going to stop eating by eight o'clock at night, you're probably not going to get 2000 calories in and not that you're probably not, you're not going to. And I, again, I know this because I've done food diaries on probably over a hundred people by now. And I know people personally who do this and they just under eat and they lose weight and they're ascribing the weight loss to the fasting when it's, they're just eating less. And I know They've gone and gotten body fat done in some cases, and the body fat has gone up even though their weight has gone down. So that tells you that you're not eating enough and you're not eating enough protein, which you know is my other big point of emphasis. And there's been research done even on the proper type of intermittent fasting. And some of the research shows that there's a negative hormonal response over time to this intermittent fasting, which has... A wide range of negatives associated with it that probably offset any benefits you might get from weight loss or, and even body fat loss.
0: Yeah, so fasting at all, you don't promote it at all?
1: What, what's the old rule? Don't eat after 8 o'clock at night or something like that. Basically, yeah. that's, that's your intermittent fast. If you don't eat after 8 o'clock and you wake up and have breakfast at 8, that's 12 hours. That's a long time. without food. So we've basically basically taken something that was kind of a cultural norm because we've lost that element to our our nutritional dietary culture, and we're putting a different name on it. So we're saying, okay, now it's called intermittent fasting. When we were kids, it was called, yeah, you're not allowed to eat anything after eight o'clock at night.
0: Yeah, no, that's right. It's half a day, 12 hours. I didn't think about that. no, it's, I mean, you, you kind of touched on, you, you hit a phrase, misinformation out there. I think that's the key we challenge our audience with. Make sure you do your own research on everything. Even don't even take our word for it, go go after it. But um, it's hard to look away from this thing. You sent me a, a post on it and, and I did some background research on it, but we kind of get into some inf- misinformation here. The mayor of New York, I don't want to spoil the punchline. I'll just kind of say the mayor of New York, and I think anybody could run in a number of different re- directions. That state's a mess right now. Certainly not a. This is certainly not an advertisement for their chamber of commerce by any means. It's probably the opposite. But what's what's going on in New York with veganism right now?
1: Well, so you've got the mayor of New York. New York now is on their second buffoon mayor in a row. So you're and you, you look at it. I don't know any of you close enough or have been in the city. The city is an absolute disaster, despite efforts to portray it as being you know the Big Apple, which is had this reputation of being this great place. It's a disaster. People are fleeing. Businesses are closing. And you have another buffoon mayor now who is going to try to get people to eat less meat. So let's start. My first statement is vegan vegetarianism is a folly of the rich. And I have used that phrase. I think I don't think I borrowed it from anybody. Uh, if someone knows that Someone else used it. I have a pretty long history of using it on Twitter. There's no underdeveloped, poor countries that are vegan, vegetarian. Uh, The underprivileged people of the world don't have vegan, vegetarian diets. We haven't cured world hunger with vegan and vegetarian diets. These vegans are allowed to supplement their diet with with supplements, with things they don't get in the vegan diet to make themselves healthy. So it's an illusion. You can't have a healthy life with vegan diets. And that's just being proven because now we have another case where we have data that shows that after eight, nine, 10 years of veganism, your body starts to break down. So, And we also know that kids, given vegan diets, have a failure to thrive, have all kinds of developmental problems, both physical and mental and you have this wing of the food police that want to try to tell you that well once you get to a certain age you don't need to eat those certain things like all of a sudden our biology changes where we don't need calcium we don't need the full spectrum of nutrients that come from red meat and dairy products that all of a sudden we don't need that we could shift to this other style of eating well that's bs and the the other thing that this story illustrates is how the government is going to try, or they're trying, in many cases succeeding in controlling the food chain, and we've seen it with this lab-based meat, which is coming out of the the tech field. The tech uh, field wants to create this lab-based meat because they then can pr- control the production. Dave, if you have a nice you know spit of land and you're living someplace, you could go out and get a couple of cattle and raise steer if you want, raise beef. But if these fake meat meat people have their way, that's not going to be something people are going to be able to do in the future. They want to be able to control the production and distribution of the food that we get. And they're doing it in New York City because they, they have, not only did they have Meatless Monday in their schools, but they now are going to shove vegan food down these kids' throats on Friday. So in many cases, these are underprivileged kids who depend on the school food program, not just lunch, but food program to get them through their day. And now you're going to be underfeeding them as well
0: as giving them lousy food. Yeah. So it's another, another government controlled thing, right? Because education, in order to get the money from the government, they have to adhere to the rules and standards. So. What, uh, I mean, how how should families come outside of attacking the policy? How can they make up for this nutritional deficiency that's going on in the schools in New York?
1: Well, first of all, if there's a place like New York and and other places like it, where I am in New Jersey, we deserve what we get because the people have voted for these fools. So mm-hmm. you've voted to make your life less than it should be. You've voted for people that are not serving your best interests. They've they've somehow convinced a lot of people to vote against their best interests. So, I I said this last week, Dave, I'm in a dark place with this. I don't think we're turning things around on a grand scale. I think places like New York and New Jersey are going to continue to slide. Places like South Carolina and Florida and Texas, Texas you don't know still but are going to be the place where a lot of ple- uh, where a lot of people flock to that can in pockets keep things the way they want. So I you know if if you're a if you're a if you're an underprivileged kid or if you're if you're a family that's struggling to make ends meet, it might be difficult for you to go out and buy that tuna fish or that other healthier choice that your kid could eat at school and have them bring lunch. I don't even know if that's allowed. I know there were schools that weren't allowing kids to bring lunch. So, I don't know what you can do. The, you know, the even in places like Florida where you would think the the school board would be reflective of the people they serve are doing wacky things both curricular wise and in social engineering. So, you have to start thinking there's a big a big push that's going to have to come from people who want to change this because you're even getting screwed by the people you've thought might be representing your best interests.
0: So this is, this is obviously a, a physical thing. It's a nutritional thing that they've got to handle, but I guess I'm, I guess it is a policy thing too. It's at no, no more important time than people to get involved with their local community or city school boards because with how global the world is, I believe the power right now is back in the towns and the cities. So I think that's, if I'm hearing you right, it sounds like you're encouraging people to get out and get more engaged and and start putting the right people in place to make smart decisions.
1: Yeah, and and, you know, you're right. And when you see a story like this about the assumption, the argument is based on the assumption here. Here's a, a passage from the article about this Adams. According to new data released by the city, 20% of the Big Apple's greenhouse gas emissions come from food production and consumption. Well, first of all, there is not consensus on what greenhouse gas emissions do. So it's based right off the bat, you have a debatable position from which their argument proceeds. And they're not even so they're they're basically going to tell you I they don't provide the info because it is probably BS. But what they're going to tell you is because of the delivery trucks and the the need to get food from point A to point B to the to the end user. That's what the problem is. Well, that's all well and good, but it's still based on a premise that's debatable. And they want you know these this this school of thought is so used to gaslighting everybody, and we're so used to just saying, oh, geez, well that must be could, must be true, but well, it really isn't true. That goes back to our point, Dave. People have to be their own advocates and be their own research arm and and learn about these things that are going to change their lives.
0: Yeah. And you're always great about uh, resources and books and articles and people to follow. And I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here, but are there nutritional guides that people can take a look at? Again, we challenge people to do their own research that you would recommend to at least challenge conventional wisdom in cities like New York.
1: Oh, yeah. there's So anything by Ellen Satter. She is a a family nutritionist. She handles a wide range of subject matter, all with nutrition, whether it's how you feed your family, how you manage kids that don't want to eat what you eat, women who have, in particular, who have eating disorder. We talked about the concept of disordered eating. On one end, you have eating disorders and on the other hand and there's it goes into the spectrum where you have disordered eating which is things like veganism which is eliminating whole types of food foods from your diet it's eating off of someone else's menu you know a menu that someone else generates an externally generated food plan so ellen satter she's an online you could get to her online look her up she has books you could buy any place amazon she conducts clinics online a very good source. Read the book. Um, Sacred Cow. I uh, we've talked about that. They were on those people, those authors were on the Joe Rogan podcast. Yes. Read read the book, The Vegetarian Myth by Lear Keith. Those are the books that will totally shred the myth. The the other myth they talk about here, not myth, the other thing they want to do here, and it's it's telling that this this Adams buffoon who can't even get the streets clean, and keep businesses in the city. They're trying to reduce this food-based emissions by 33%, and they're challenging the private sector to do the same. The private sector has already taken a bath on this garbage called uh, alternative meats. If you've ever gone to a Dunkin' Donuts and some of these other fast food places, even local restaurants, have this Beyond Meat, nobody wants it. It tastes like garbage. It looks like garbage. It's nauseating. They've tried to push it down people's throats and they're losing massive amounts of money. It's not going to happen. All of these ESG uh, investments where you're supposed to have these socially conscious investments, it turns out they're more in violation of environmental rules and labor law rules than the regular companies. And they're having a hard time getting people to invest in these products and in, in these uh production, I'm sorry, programs, because they, A, don't make money, B, people don't want them, those are probably two intertwined things, people don't want them, that's why they don't make money, and they're worse on the environment, and they're worse to the labor force than our, quote, traditional businesses.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned that Beyond Meat, uh, a place I love, BurgerFi, I love their burgers, Um, they have the Beyond Burger there, and I laugh because it's it's not a real burger, and it they, it's like twice as much as a regular burger. Um, well,
1: it's, it's it's so all that beyond meat, it's it's pea protein, pea like the vegetable pea. They massively process that to make it edible. It's one of the most again, just like a lot of these other like canola oil we talked about. One of the most highly processed foods there is has a massive environmental footprint a massive environmental consequence, both this lab meat that they want to grow and this pea protein quote beyond meat. It's so environmentally unfriendly. It's ridiculous to think they're, they're pushing it as an environmentally friendly. Remember, I'm going to say this again because every I want everyone to think of cows in this way. The cows that are supposed to be the bad guy in this environmental situation are the key in the chain. they, eat stuff no other animals can eat on land that's not suitable for any other things to grow on. Thanks to the sun, they convert that meat into, uh, I'm sorry, they convert that food into meat and other kinds of, whether it's pork, beef, whatever, that no one else can do and that can provide massive amounts of food for the, the planet. And they use water from the environment and they use the sun. These grown protein, I'm sorry, this uh, protein labs that are going to grow meat, quote meat, use massive amounts of land that'll have to be built, factories will have to be built, they'll take massive amounts of electricity off the grid, and they will even, they use like 20 times more water relative to the production as the cows do, so I want everybody to realize the beauty of the cow is it's the perfect machine, take stuff we can't eat, and no one else eats, no other creatures eat, and turns it into stuff
0: we all can eat. I, I'm kind of laughing. Think, and if I'm wrong, obviously correct me, but are they blaming the environmental issues on the cow's flatulence? Is that correct?
1: Well, that that was part of it, but the, the other bogus claim they make is that they take, they take up land that could be used for other crops, which is 90% of the time untrue. And in any healthy ecosystem which we don't do you need to have crop rotation anyway so you don't always want to grow corn on or certain things on certain land you should rotate the cows grazing on those other lands and fertilizing that land naturally is what we don't have anymore in a lot of places and which which is more damaging these vegan farms are more damaging to the environment than the traditional rancher uh, traditional farm arrangement where you use the cows to graze on a wide variety of field. They naturally fertilize the field. They naturally enrich the soil. And again, if you read those books, you will see that the way we farm, this massive farming and many of these vegan farms, they're stripping away the nutrients out of the soil, which is which could be a bigger problem than anything about greenhouse gases.
0: Oh, without question. Well, on that uh, kind of on that that stream here, you, you sent me a. I think it was from Instagram. Yeah, guy by the name of Blenstrup, and you and I talk a lot about this misinformation out there, not just in the sports world. Obviously, we people can tell by our conversations we get. You and I get heavy into nutrition and and even the policy out there. I'm not even going to set this up. I'm just going to say the guy's name Blenstrup. Misinformation. Share with our audience what what that's about. So he's a he's a Johns Hopkins
1: affiliated physician, and we don't need to go into the chapter and verse. But basically, what he says, Dave, is what we've been saying for years is that the government has been the biggest source of, I'm not even sure if it's misinformation or disinformation, really by definition, they they're responsible for all the problems. They've lied about masks. They've lied about the vaccines. They've lied about natural immunity. They've lied about what the vaccines would do beyond, you know, and they've taken us through different layers. Talk about levels, talk about moving the goalposts. And it's just good to see because it's someone that comes from, quote, the establishment and and a place that you would think would be hesitant to come out and say these things. But it's all the things that we've been saying. And people are going to have to realize that we were kind of really screwed. And I don't know if we're at the point where there's going to be any kind of Resolution to this, if we're going to what the um, what the what what the ramifications are going to be, because I haven't seen anything that makes me think. We're going to get the, the turnaround, we've talked about that today, we talked about it last week, so,
0: yeah.
1: but, you know, the more perhaps the more people hear this and, and see this. They will. Get annoyed enough. What's that? I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore from that movie. You know, I think it was Network way, way back. That was the famous line. A guy goes, uh, takes over the uh, newscast of a, of a local news broadcast. And the, the key word, the key phrase was, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. So, you know, you, you, the, everything you look at that this, uh, the, the doctor from Hopkins says, from lying about the hospital rates to lying about. The infection rates, to wep- the weaponization of the medical field, and using shoddy studies that they knew were shoddy to support a position that was unsupportable. It's it's really sad. It's a it's it's sad, and what will be sadder, Dave, if nothing happens as a result of it?
0: Yeah, I, when you sent it to me and I saw Johns Hopkins, and I was like, oh gosh, another higher ed talking talking head being told what to say, but it was nice to see that he was challenging conventional wisdom. And that's what we're going to need to turn this corner. I'm a little bit more optimistic. I think we we still got a ways to go down before we go up, but uh, I think eventually we're going to go up, but we, we haven't hit that rock yet. I don't believe.
1: Well, maybe it helps you being in a state that's
0: different. Yeah. You know, where I am, it's Looney Tunes, Oh yeah, just that was that was the theme, the theme song of the show today. Bugs and Daffy, Looney Tunes.
1: I, I said last yeah. week about the masks. Pulled up this morning, they had we had garbage, and the landscapers were here yesterday, so we had picked up a lot of the masks. There were four more masks this morning. Now I left here yesterday after five, got here around nine thirty. So that's become a a daily habit of the mask wearers. They're just going to drop them and throw them. They're not even going to have the Decency to throw them in a garbage pail on their property. They're going to just drop them on our property here because uh, they
0: don't need it anymore. Yeah. In all honesty, if I didn't watch, if I didn't check in on social media or I, I follow Mike Adams on natural news, he's very much on our side in terms of how we see things and, and look at the world. Um, if I didn't look at that stuff, I'd have no idea anything was going on where I'm at right now. It's just well, that's great. So um, we didn't chat about this. We've been going 45 minutes. You got time for one more question? As long as you don't think it's going too long. No, God. You, I, uh, I I had a nice talk with Kevin Kernan this morning before uh, a show with Jim Cott, and he was just complimenting you on your show and how, how good it is. And, and I said, geez, I, I keep a little pen and paper. I take notes on the show, and I get four to five SAT words per show with Sal. He makes me smarter in a number of different ways. So this question is this question's a little bit off topic in terms of, what we were talking about today, but I was just curious to your opinion. It's my selfish question of the show. Okay. Um, that's how, that should be a segment. Dave's selfish question of the day. I, I, I side rail everybody's show at least once. Uh, with that's, doing that, that. that's it. I'm in on it. Let's All go. Right, at we least, least I admit it. it. Um, so the, the situation with Draymond Green the other night, NBA basketball, um, if you didn't see it, I'm sure you heard about it. He's, he's arguably an antagonist. That's a nice way to put it. He's got a reputation uh, for being a little bit, uh, Technical foul, happy. And the other night, just kind of, the I'm sure the audience saw it. I posted about it on Facebook yesterday. Uh, he got tangled up with, uh, with uh, Sabotis, with Sacramento. Sacramento got the better of them the first two games, Golden State. And Sabotis really tore up uh, green uh, offensively and held him in check defensively. But so they got tangled up. Looked like Sabotis kind of wrapped his leg a little bit. It's hard to tell if it was intentional or not because he got thrown to the ground. That's kind of bush league if he did it. Um, Green picked his right leg up and just stomped him. Like, I mean, it was his head was down, he knew what he was doing right in the chest, right in the sternum. And uh, he got a technical foul, flagrant to got ejected. And as he was getting ejected, he started inciting the crowd with, with Adam Silver sitting front row, almost like a WWE or WWF, whatever generation you are, um, wrestling match, getting him going with that. He was subsequently suspended yesterday. So in the dark hours of the night, so he didn't get to play l- last night's game. Um, what, what, what's your, your thoughts on that? The technical foul. I know back in the 80s, guy yeah, we all saw Kevin McHale, clothesline Kurt Rambis, and I, I, I think, I don't even know if he got, he got called for a foul. He got two shots, and that was it. Um, what's your thoughts on that with, with Green? He got suspended, they said, because he's got a history of technical fouls, and I think part of it was his post-technical antics um, there. But... What's your thought on it? should he should he got teed up should he gotten thrown out should he got suspended?
1: Oh, I, I no question. I think there should be zero tolerance in, in in that. You know, on if you go on Instagram, there's always these clips of MMA fighters and always not always. I shouldn't say that. A lot of these low level fighters and people you don't know there they will knock a guy out to the point where he's clearly unconscious and then continue to hit him afterward. In no sport is that. You know, no other combat sport would that be allowed, and it's not in boxing. If you hit a guy when he's down, you're disqualified. In MMA, you are too, but it happens. But in, in in basketball, that kind of garbage is so out of place. These guys are multimillionaires; they have nothing to want for. They don't need to do that. And 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 if you can't control yourself, look at the trouble that Ron Artest had gotten into uh that that war at the palace or whatever that was called that oh, no, no, Indiana you know that that's how these things happen uh, my question is if Silver isn't there does that happen does he get suspended you know is it as, is it as bad of a penalty because you know he's there so he's got to put his foot down I, I'm glad that it happened let's see if there's some consistency I don't know if there's a, enough of a penalty for something like that what was the suspension is it indefinite
0: no, just the one game he missed last night, Golden State won. and then and he,
1: should be, he should be out for the rest of the series, yeah. the rest of the playoffs.
0: Yeah, and then that's, the,
1: that's the only way the teams will start to – if it hurts the team, then it'll maybe get these teams to be responsible for their
0: brats. Yeah, Nate, and uh, what I found interesting is Steve Kerr made no attempt to stop him. Steph Curry made no attempt to stop him. In fact, Kerr Kerr pleaded that, hey, once he gets into a tantrum, it's pointless, which is kind of – you know, that, that's a, a terrible way to lead. And then I was m- more disturbed by the talking heads. I won't say just dis- surprised because the next day on ESPN, from morning till night, Fox Sports with Colin Cowherd too, all I heard was Draymond Green apologists. They almost, they made Green the victim in all of it. And, you know, it was Sabonis's fault and he wrapped them. And I, and I found that ironic because last year during the playoffs, Jordan Poole, did that to John Morant, grabbed his leg, and hurt Morant's knees. He was out for the playoffs and basically affected that series. Um, Golden State went on to have success, and Memphis was was ousted. So I'm not surprised by the media. They never think. They're told what to say. But the fact they came in again and made it – didn't quite get to the racial component, but made Draymond Green, who's got a history of being an idiot – um, but he's one of them now. He's a media guy. He he's, he did half a year of media when he took an absence from the team this year.
1: Well, Steve Kerr's garbage, too. He's, you know, probably the least – him and Popovich, the, the two guys that should just shut up and coach basketball. No one really cares about their other thoughts. And, again, to see that's your behavior towards your player. So it's not his responsibility to control his player. That tells you a lot. And the no one, you know, that's why the NBA is in trouble. They could again try to do what they want to prop it up. Most people I know don't care. I was actually out last night at a local place, and it's actually a real nice place. Not that it, it's uh, surprising that it's really nice that I would go there, but it's a really nice place, and it has sports on. And they had baseball, they had basketball on the big TV, and they had the Rangers Devils playoff game. And then there was the Toronto, I believe. Maple Leafs game, which was a blowout, people had they asked them to take off the Knicks. I'm sorry, the Nets 76ers game, and was relegated to a small TV in the corner. And you had the two hockey games, one of which was a blowout, on the two big screens, and an out of town baseball game on the other screen.
0: Nice. and then so
1: I know that's anecdotal, but
0: no, that's the point because last night we, time we, we saw, saw a lot of anecdotal stories. We saw Joel, Joel Embiid last night got eaten up by. Nick, uh, I think it's Nick Claxton, the center for the Nets. Nets have a nice young team, and they're going to be good. The Sixers, I think, have kind of seen their last days. But Embiid hit the floor. Claxton dunked on him again on a break. And it, was, it didn't look intentionally. dunked on him. Embiid hit the floor, and Claxton was landing with two feet down. and didn't step on Embiid. He stepped around him, so he had one foot on each side. And without hesitation, Embiid threw a kick at him in his private parts. Missed. But Embiid didn't get thrown out. He got a technical foul. And uh, led, they let him stay in the game. And I found that ironic that they kept him in. I know he doesn't have the history of Draymond Green, but I'm I'm thinking, like, gosh, all these behaviors. You had Russell Westbrook attack a guy in a restaurant during halftime because he was heckling him during a game.
1: Well, again, the more you read about the NBA, if you watch a couple of documentaries on Netflix, the one was about the referee who was in complicit in giving information to gamblers, and the other one was the brawl at the Palace or whatever that was called. The NBA is, is – Deserves whatever they get because they were going to be in big trouble if that story about the ref went to the went to the court because their their whole defense was Donahue, who was doing what he was doing, was still one of the top three officials as far as their grading. And they had factual evidence of referees who did things in games and were were rewarded with playoff games at a higher level they were going to uncover the whole nonsense with the NBA. And if you look at how those players were treated and it's not a racial thing because they, they railroaded these African-American players too. If you look at how they treated those players, those two documentaries, the NBA comes off looking terrible. Now I know it was David Stern, but silver is David Stern's handpicked successor. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I could care. I really could care less about it. I, went into the local garage to get my car worked on. And I just heard on the, the sport talk station that the Knicks were in the playoffs and had beaten Cleveland in the first game. So I kind of checked in on the second game and it was your typical, a team wins one night and the next night they're down 35 in the third quarter.
0: Yeah, so I got the yeah. Well, a great show again. Sorry to take you in that. I was just curious. I know you have, you'd have a strong opinion on it. What, um, what, what do you want to leave our audience with and how can they support you?
1: Just check out my Instagram. I'm always putting up new things. As I've said before, I'm using that as my website. It's the best way in real time to see what I'm doing. I'm trying to be better. I have so many videos of of these athletes, and my one guy guy is getting ready to go to the CFL training camp, and my other guys are both in season for lacrosse, preparing for the outdoor season, and preparing for the World Games, which are in San Diego this year uh, in June, July. So. We have a lot of interesting stuff you could check out and you'll hear my other takes on other things as we go.
0: Yeah, I enjoy them as well. I enjoyed the, the one you did on fasting and I showed it to, to Tanner and he's like, boy, Sal's intense. So he had those intense eyes there on Instagram. Well, to our audience, uh, 16,100 plus uh, continue to support us. Download, listen, like, subscribe, rate and review. Let's beat that algorithm. We'll keep providing you with great content every week. Keep challenging conventional wisdom. We ask you to make sure you do your own research, though. Uh, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher is where you can stream us. If you've got a different one, we'll subscribe to that as well. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keep engaging us there. I'll get back to one person live each day, and I'll get back to everybody privately, I promise. We are in 72 countries right now, grassroots all the way to Major League Baseball front offices. So we got the ear ear of the people. we just got to keep putting the word out there. All we're trying to do is build a better baseball IQ. And, Sal, I think you did it today with the hot corner with Coach Sal. Thanks again, buddy. We appreciate you.
1: Thanks. Look forward to next week. See you, everybody.
0: Oh, we'll and down. Down. Oh. Wow, good consistency.